Hello, and welcome to Enroute, Journeys in Faith and Modern Life. Happy New Year. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Welcome. This is the podcast where we will explore the who, where, why, what, and how of religion and its intersection with other topics. This is episode 68. I think that some of the best takes on mainline Protestantism come from people who have come to mainline Protestantism just recently from evangelical backgrounds. I think they're able to see things about the church that people who have long been on the inside just can't see. And today, we are talking to one of those people, Lauren Richmond Jr. He is a pastor in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, uh, which is my own denomination. And a few months ago, he wrote an article on his substack called Yo-Yos and Mainline Churches. In this episode, we are using a little bit of physics to talk about how churches balance responding to members, maintaining the institution, and how they reach out beyond the walls of the church. Lauren says the following here in his article, and I wanted to, uh, to, for you to share, to hear this. Today, I can't help but notice centripetal forces overtaking so many mainline churches as traditions, norms, institutions, status quo, etc., sort of act to essentially pull the yo-yo back in closer. Denominations almost cannibalize themselves in a way as they devote more and more resources, and he says people are a resource, into maintaining the institution as opposed to investing into being willing to sort of let go and see where centrifugal force takes us. So the question is, how can mainline churches let go? Why don't we find out? Let's listen to Lauren Richmond, Jr. to finally uh, get to talk to you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me and thanks for thanks for being flexible making this work. Not a problem. We all have busy lives these days. Um I think the first thing I wanted to kind of get from you is um knowing a little bit about you and then ultimately also your journey kind of from evangelicalism into mainline Christianity and especially into the disciples of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I jokingly refer to myself as a suburban white dad, <laughs> um, about as white as you can get cargo pants, cargo shorts included. Um, I have two young kids. I'm married. Uh, we live in the, the burbs Northeast of Denver, kind of Denver Metro Northeast mm-hmm. Denver Metro. Um, more professionally, I'd say I'm a pastor, podcaster, and social entrepreneur. Um, grew up independent Baptist, kind of had a deconstruction before that was the thing to do. Um, that was about 15-ish years ago. 
uh, found my way through some some folks. Shout out to Phil Snyder, who's still disciples pastor in Springfield, Missouri, and Emily uh, Bowen Marler, I think it is now. Um, I was introduced to disciples there through actually a professor at the state school, Missouri State. I was going to do religious studies graduate school program. And then eventually I found my way to Phillips Seminary in Mm -hmm. Tulsa. I got ordained um, and have been fortunate to be working in a couple different, a few different church settings over the years. Currently, I'm doing a hospital CPE residency, chaplaincy residency, and uh, looking to get back into church world when and if how that's appropriate uh, in a more bigger ministry setting. And you also spent some time at um, what's been called Mission Gathering, which um, maybe I'll let you explain, but but you're in the, the branch that's in, in the Denver area. Yeah, yeah. So now it's been probably four years. Um, I was, still am, but was then and still am passionate about new churches, revitalizing churches and and finding new ways to connect what I believe is, especially the disciples of Christ, I believe we have a great message. Trying to figure out how to to get that package, get that message to people in in a maybe a newer way. And I connected with some folks at Mission Gathering um, and we were able to work with the region to start a church. Unfortunately, uh, due to various things, didn't make it through COVID, mm. and um, that was definitely rough. That's been, as we're recording this, about seven, eight months ago, um, that shut down. Um, but it was a, it was a, I loved, loved the work, would, would love to do it again. So, mm-hmm. well, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I, I think that this has been the whole COVID thing has always been a, a rough thing for churches, um, especially, I mean, for those that aren't able to continue ministry and even those that do, um, nothing is the same right now. And that's yeah. it's been a growing experience. Yeah. I mean, certainly nothing's guaranteed in, in new church. And not, I wouldn't say like COVID ruined things for my church money stretch. You know, no, I didn't take anything for granted, I guess. I just say, I, you know, I just, it's hard to, it's hard to grow and attract new people, you know, when you're, ver- you know, doing video only because mm-hmm. um, I really came into it, COVID with like, you know, a, a really opportunistic mindset, like, Hey, this is going to be an opportunity for us to reach new people. The, the, the playing field has been leveled, but quickly, quickly, it really became obvious, like bigger churches with lots of resources are just going to come in and, you know, dominate the market, so to speak. And that's a lot of what happened. And then um, you, you also saw folks who had long ties to churches kind of get back into church or, you know, it's just really this kind of weird sorting that happened. Uh, but for newer churches that didn't have a lot of connections beyond my own community that I'd built, um, it was really hard to grow. And I'd, I remember the first summer, like during COVID, like I would engage with new people, but it was really just hard because there's no real way to like tie people in beyond just like, Hey, come watch our zoom or whatever, Mm -hmm. our live stream on Sunday morning. And that's kind of 
kind of not fun. So it is what it is. Yeah, I you know, it's interesting. There have been a lot of people that have seen, you know, the live stream and all of that. And I think that that's all important um, and everything. But it's, I think that there's a, a, a dimension that's missing if you don't yeah. have that kind of um, in-person thing mm-hmm. going on. And, of course, granted, it's hard to do that in, a, in the midst of a pandemic. But I think it's just hard. It's it just what I think I learned is that Zoom, you know, it, it can work in a pinch, but it, it's just hard to do that over the long haul. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you is that I read um, an article you wrote on your Substack a few months ago um, that's entitled Yo-Yos and Mainline Churches. And it kind of brought also a little bit of physics into it. Um, and you talk about um, how basically coming in as an outsider into the tradition, um, how you saw that maybe at, at some point churches and denominations were um, more centrifugal, kind of outward focused, and now they're centripetal, which is mm-hmm. inward. Um, could you go kind of about explaining what you meant by that and and how did you, what did you notice and 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 how can things change? Yeah, well, I'm not a scientist by any stretch of the matter, and I and and truth be told, I heard this analogy on a evangelical podcast, mm-hmm. um, and I not in the context of mainline churches, but just kind of in general, I thought, oh, really, this really resonates. I think um, so. I'll preface this by saying I'm not a scientist, and this is my take on this. But as I understand it, um, and I always forget, centrifugal, if I remember correctly, is the force that's pulling inward. And I always forget how to say it. Centripetal? I'm saying Cent- it wrong. Well, I should say centripetal is, is, is inward. And I remember that because when you're, if you trip, you're kind of Out. going in, in. And then centrifugal is, is always going to be then the opposite of that. So it's outward. That's right. That's right. Thank you. So whatever the words are, <laughs> there's uh, the, the analogy was spinning a yo-yo and how the, the forces pulling outward, uh, the, the string keeps the yo-yo from just flying out. Um, so there's that force, that centripetal, right? Pulling outward force, but the string is the fugal force that's keeping it in. Um, and I think there's obviously pluses and minuses to both sides of this, if you think about it in the church context. Um, I think community organizations, institutions, there needs to be some level of togetherness, some level of cohesion that keeps things together, or else um, things just kind of fly apart. I think, you know, I think back, this was probably, what, 10 years ago, right? The the Occupy Wall Street movement, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, I think when we saw that, you know, I imagine you follow that too. I think when that came about, I think a lot of people thought, oh, this is going to be a movement. This is going to be a thing. And it really just kind of fell apart. There wasn't enough kind of uh, inward thing pulling it, holding it together. Um, Now, conversely, I think, you know, I think we might say from a more critical matter uh, perspective, 
I think a lot of the the energy or focus on in right wing politics is all like we got to hold this thing together, you know, mm-hmm. like we got to keep the the outsiders out. Um, so there's there's plus minuses to both sides. Um, one thing that I'll just say, and hopefully uh, folks don't find this too troubling. I don't ever want to hear again from anyone who's disciple of Christ at any kind of disciple of Christ gathering, how long you've been a disciple or what generation disciple you are. It's just, I don't care. It doesn't matter. No one who's new to the disciples cares. No one who's outside of the disciples cares that you're second or third or fourth generation disciple. We don't care. It doesn't matter. That's just an example of that inward pull and it doesn't matter. Um, plus it's just super like insider language, you know, it's just, it's everything that's anti-community, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's my soapbox. <laughs> I'll stay on that. So I think the challenge is, is finding the balance between outward focus and, and going outward, but also having enough cohesion and inwardness, inward pull, so that the whole thing doesn't just fly apart. Mm-hmm. And why do you think that we've been more focused on kind of that inward pull um, as opposed to outward? And I've seen that in my own uh, ministry and kind of whenever you see people who are interested in or or if you express interest in that we have to do things outwardly, they always want to know well, why aren't we doing things for the church? Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. 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 I used to hear that a lot in one of the churches I led. Um, I mean, I, I think, I don't necessarily think, I don't necessarily think it's wrong if you're going to be a church just as, hey, we're just going to care about only ourselves. I mean, I don't believe that's the mission of the church, but if that's who you want to be and you own that and you live that out, I guess that's fine. I think, I think the, the challenge is, as I see it at least, is when churches say, hey, we want to grow, we want to, we want to impact our community, but then they don't want to do anything different, differently about it. Um, yeah, I think it's just, I think the biggest thing that comes to mind for me is just change. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm going to throw out an evangelical name here, but Ed Stetzer, mm-hmm. he spends a lot of time banging on mainliners. Uh, and I'd love to have him on my pod just to like, <laughs> give them grief about that because i think the reality is we see churches struggling to adapt irregardless of their theological positions or convictions and um struggling to adapt to meet the changing needs of their community and they just kind of realize like hey we're not really we don't really want to change we want to keep this thing uh and i think that's the thing that as communities see change around them they kind of like pull closer and they pull tighter and those centrifugal forces just kind of pull inward and inward. Here's my guest son here. Dad, can you help me? Please? Go ahead. That's okay. You were talking a little bit about the kind of wanting that inward pull. Um, and that sense of community. That's not it.
Yeah. And so is that a sense of a sense of comfort for them or? I mean, I think inherently like we all don't like change. Mm-hmm. I think anybody who's like, oh, I really like change probably has some issues, you know, mental health issues. They probably need to work through why they just they're constantly wanting change is probably like a like a coping mechanism. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist. That's just my hunch. Um, So I think, you know, inherently humans don't like change. We like consistency. And I think that's part of it. So do you think that what are are some methods or or things that churches and denominations can do to try to better, right? To try to keep that balance between um being drawn in and drawn out. Yeah, I really think like outsider perspectives matter here. And that's kind of why like I I made that little soapbox about saying what kind of generation disciple you are. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's super, super insider language. And I think, I think the challenge for many churches, many institutions, organizations is when it becomes so insider focused and they don't have any outsider perspective, they don't see how, um, they just don't see the ways it's just like, it's like a fish out of, you know, like a fish in water. They don't recognize like, Oh my goodness, I'm swimming in water here. Um, into an outsider who comes in and is just totally off-put by the language or the the style or the traditions. Um, so really trying to find outsiders who can give you some perspective on what's what's going on in the community and what's uh, important to the folks in your neighborhood. Uh. Where do you see the the future for the main line, especially in dealing with centripetal and um, centrifugal? And, you know, how can you see some leaders that are doing such as some things like that? Yeah, my 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 little guest (laughs) wants to be part of this episode. I I think there's some I think there's some really good leaders in the mainline world. Um, you know, the one I, I still will always have a, a spot in my heart for Phil Snyder and Emily. Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, on my podcast, I, I interview a lot of folks who I think are doing great work. Mm-hmm. Someone you've had, Dwight Shiley is one I think about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just kind of looking at my stack of books. Um, there's a Methodist pastor around here, Mark Feldmeyer, who I think is doing great work. Um, Mark Elsden, he's a PCUSA pastor in, you should have him on. Yeah. Um, he's doing a lot of work on nonprofits and being strategic with assets and resources for the church. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of good leaders, I think, that are really doing a lot of hard work. I think, and this is, again, a kind of a hot take of mine is I think one of the challenges, and I think it might get to this this metaphor we're using of centrifugal versus, cent- I'm getting Tripodal. centrifugal. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Is I think the structures 
and systems in mainline church are often built in to keep leaders contained, restrained, limited. Um, I say it this way, and I still feel very fondly of my seminary education, but I feel like I was trained not to be a leader in seminary. And Hmm. I think that's, to me, that's a problem. Can you unpack that? Because I think you're onto something there or something that I felt, but I'm, I'm curious, what do you mean by that? Well, yeah, I mean, this is my opinion. So again, folks might disagree with me and that's fine. But I think in my perspective, I think congregationalism in this kind of like everyone is, it gets an equal vote an equal voice. I think that's, I think that's risk avoidant and that's, that's more about not wanting to offend anyone rather than being bold and following the, the call of God. And I think, I believe that different people have been differently equipped by the spirit to lead and serve in different ways. And when, when people have been clearly given the gift of leadership and you're just like, Hey, your, your, your voice, your, your vision, your opinions is equally as valid or, or is on the same par as, as some random person, not to, di- not to diminish, not to diminish the giftings and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um, spirit of God in each person. I can't think of a, what a word I'm looking for, not to diminish that, but I think we all have different giftings and um, tools that God has given us to lead and serve in different ways. Uh, it's like, you know, it's like if someone who is very good at playing the guitar or the piano and the obvious thing would be, Hey, can you help in worship leading, playing piano, guitar? And instead you're like, Hey, can you like shovel snow for us? Like, yeah, like this guy can or person can shovel snow, but that's not really what they're best equipped and, and gifted to do. Um, so I, I think I think in and I kind of I, I'm a I'm a big student of family systems theory, and I think a lot of it is often like we want to avoid conflict, we want to avoid upsetting people. So what we can do is we can just say, hey, let's throw it out to everybody and ask their opinion. But really often what happens is nothing happens. And then, or conversely, the most anxious person in the room just hijacks things and it kind of goes backwards. And we say, oh, we don't have a leader, but really there is a leader. It's the most anxious, change-resistant person who's often the leader. Um, And I joke about this, Dennis. I laugh about this. When I was doing the mission gathering, I took a couple people through the commissioning ministry process and one of my guys came back to me and he's like, did you know it took six years to, (laughs) I can't say it. It's so funny. The whole becoming a denomination took us disciples six years. (laughs) I mean, six years for goodness sake. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. Some people probably like a part of that uh, committee and then like didn't live to see the end (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I think that the thing that I was, that resonated with me when you said that is that 
I think from seminary, and I, and I don't know if it was really from seminary. I think the seminary was was actually at Luther was pretty good about leadership, mm-hmm. but it was more what I picked up once I became a pastor, and and it yeah. was a sense of you have to have the congregation really be the one making decisions. Mm-hmm. And there is one case um, early on at my current call. Um, the congregation didn't have a musician. They used taped music. Mm, yeah. And um, I don't like that. And especially yeah. having a, a husband who is a musician, this is not going to fly. So I said, <laughs> you know, can we consider hiring a musician? And, and yeah. initially they said no. Mm-hmm. And it was probably not a, the best thing to do, but I kind of went ahead anyway. And mm-hmm found someone and you know people I think appreciated that but I was actually counseled at some point that they have to come up to that decision and yeah so which would have meant for several I don't know we probably could have still been using tape music to this day and you know you don't want to end up being the person that you know is a power hungry person right right and I think we've talked earlier about the whole kind of Mars Hill thing and mm-hmm. you don't want that, but this is also bad when you don't really, when you basically tell pastors that they're not leaders, that I you know that they're kind of helpers or something, but not really throwing out leadership because in, in some ways that's what we're called to do. Yeah. I'm blanking on his name right now, and I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was a guy. So forgive me, whoever you are. Um, I think he was Disciples of Christ pastor, and he talked about they did a, you know, constitution and bylaws change. And he made the point of saying, like, I'm not going to be, and this was his words, and I thought they were brilliant, an institutional chaplain, because I think that's a lot of what is expected of clergy and mainline churches. Yeah, it is. And maybe that was, maybe I think that could have been the thing 50, 70 years ago. Um, but today, I don't think that's what's needed. Um, and, and again, to your point, um, you, a leader, a pastor needs to really have some strategic wisdom. Like like you said, you don't need to be blowing up everything the first six months. You know, you'll see that a lot where a pastor will change everything get fired and then be like, oh, the church couldn't handle my change. It's like, well, you need to have some strategic wisdom there about not changing everything right away. Um, but I mean, I think it like, you know, like <laughs> I won't say her name, but my good friend talks about like, you know, she, I think if I can get it right, she'll say something like, you know, asking a church to choose their own pastors, like asking preschoolers to choose their own teacher, something like that. <laughs> You know, so that's a that's a bit. Um, you know, I won't say her name because um, of that. So it's a bit harsh, but I think there's some element well, of truth, some truth here, to that. You know? Yeah, I I think there is some truth to that, and and I think you're right. Um, this is not to denigrate chaplaincy because, and I know that you're doing yeah, that like right now. Yeah, what I'm doing right now. Um, but it's also something that bugs me because I think that's. 
has become kind of, I, I feels at times that that's kind of the desire of what we want are mm-hmm. our chaplains. And I think chaplains are necessary. So oh, yeah. I don't want to say that they aren't, mm-hmm. but I, I think that they are necessary in certain contexts, right? You know, in right. a, in a hospital, in a, a, a nursing home, there are other places where I think chat, you know, police chaplains fired, you know, mm-hmm. you know those are our places where people lives are kind of, topsy-turvy they need someone that can come in um and and kind of bring some comfort yes but also just kind of spiritual direction in those times and but I, maybe that's it dennis sorry to cut you off but no, i'm just thinking okay. like you know like like i said like you said i am currently working as a hospital chaplain like we talked about like the hospital's not going anywhere like there's the doctors the insurance companies the the corporation like they're running the show the hospital's not going anywhere like 70 years ago like mainline churches were almost as as efficient as they were that almost that level of efficiency as organizations like they were starting the hospitals and and whatever so maybe it could work that you just need chaplains to come and provide some level of spiritual uh, acute care um but the thing that i think i struggle with in hospital chaplaincy is this kind of like this the, the whole like fishing people out of the river. It's like what I'm grateful to be helping fishing people out of the river, but I want to like stop them from getting thrown in the river or figure out why they're getting in the river kind of drowning in the first place. And I think this is what a lot of mainline clergy struggle with the similar thing. Like they feel like they're constantly just doing rescue work of like solving crises rather than being in to say like, Hey, let's stop these crises from happening from the beginning. Let's change the system. And they're not allowed, not empowered to do so, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So how do you change that situation, especially in seminaries? Because I think you said that that's where you picked up that pastors can't be leaders. That, to me, says that there's something wrong with seminary education, if that, if, if that the message that's being told to you. I mean, I'll just be blunt and say I love seminary Mm-hmm. value my seminary education shout out to phillips theological seminary um i still love you guys y'all um i think there's a lot that could change um but we don't have time for talk about all the things that could change you know a silly i don't know if i want to go there but i'll just say like i think um yeah i think systems and structures some basic leadership training um, would really be helpful. Um, and again, maybe I'm maybe I'm being too harsh, too critical. I don't know. It's been a few years since I've been in seminary. Um, but I, I do think um, encouraging folks to be leaders. And again, we want to we want to be realistic and responsible. Like you said, we don't want to go into this Mars Hill approach where it's, you know, uh, we're kind of reveling of people getting run over by the bus if, if folks understand that metaphor. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am a, I, I'm not afraid of that metaphor of general of saying like, Hey, this is the bus. This is where we're going. You can get in. Or if you don't want to be part of the bus, that's fine. Now running people over, that's a whole nother level, I think. Uh, but I think the bus metaphor kind of gets to that centrifugal cent- centrifugal centripetal kind of metaphor is like, if there's nothing holding it together, like that's just going to be a bunch of parts, a bunch of automobile parts kind of like just thrown over the 
strewn over the, the the street. So there needs to be something holding it together. And I think ideally some kind of direction. So it's not just um, curving, swerving all over down the road. Um, but that being said, you don't need to be running people over and should never be celebrating, um, you know, folks for whom they're not able to be a part of it for whatever reason. So um, kind of getting back to kind of where you're at, you are actually um, doing CPE training. Where do you see that going? And how do you see that kind of where your observation about centrifugal centripetal will, can it filter into your work as a chaplain? Well, I'm not sure this is what you're asking, but this is where I'm going to go with it. Go right ahead. Uh, I saw like a few months ago, someone on Twitter saying like that chaplaincy is like a good strategy for clergy to think about income streams. And I would just be very careful. Um, It's not like a gold. There's no gold at the end of the rainbow. Um, It's good work. And and maybe I'm again, feeling a little uh, afraid because we're in the middle of pandemic in a super, 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 super high part of the pandemic. So I'm feeling a little bit, probably a little bit frayed at the edges there. But I think, you know, I don't know what other CP context, like like I don't not get paid a lot of money. It's very demanding work. And even at the end of it, like I'm going to be like competing for like part-time on-call night jobs, you know? So it's not like some guaranteed income stream for pastors to to go like make a nice side hustle. It's good work. It's meaningful work. I appreciate the work. Um, but I wouldn't like, I wouldn't say, Hey, this is your, this is your ticket clergy. If you just finished seminary and you're looking for a job. Um, I think there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of important work that happens in CP that I'm grateful for, for my own self growth. And I think I'm hoping to really apply the tools that I'm learning of, of to churches. Like the biggest thing that I would love to do, Dennis, is to start like, um, is to start a program of, um, what's the word? I'm blanking on the word now. Um, advanced directives for churches. In my hospital, we talk to every patient we can about whether they have advanced directives. So do not resuscitate living will and medical durable power of attorney. The reality is churches are living organisms that are going to die at some point. And you probably see it just as much as I do where churches will go on and on and on and just use up every resource and just die an awful death. We see it in the hospital where we see patients who really have no chance to be frank. And usually it's a family member who's, who's unafraid to let go, to move to comfort measures they just go to these extreme measures that really have no uh, useful effect. So we're, and again, I don't want to diminish the value of human life. Don't hear that, folks. What I'm saying is for many people, and I think for many churches, they do much better if they could die a meaningful death. Um, and for a church, I think that might look like saying, hey, we've got 10 people, we've got 20 people, we've got 30 people, but we have no interest. Let's be frank. We have no interest in changing to meet the needs of our community. Rather than spending this 500000 
endowment just on us rather than spending this million dollar endowment just on us, just draining the bank account? How could we live out our values in closing down this church? So that might mean we're going to go set aside some money for a new church. That might mean we're going to set aside some money for a nonprofit we really care about. We're going to establish another endowment to serve a community. You know, there's, there's many things that churches could do if they're intentional about it. Um, to die with dignity, to use those words. And I just I just hate seeing churches just dwindle down to where they have no money, no people. And then they're like, well, I guess we're going to close. And, and you know, maybe, maybe that's okay in some certain circumstances. You know, I don't know. But I, I think there's better ways to do it, at least. That's my thoughts. Okay. Well, I know that you have a hard out, so I want to really respect that. But I'd also love to have you back on the podcast. I think that there's a whole bunch of, it sounded like you had a whole bunch more you would want to share and we're, we're time limited. So I do hope to have you back. And this was really cool to, to chat with you. Yeah, Dennis, thanks for having me. Um, I hope we get a chance to talk more in the future. I think we're, we have similar passions about um, how can we, you know, I think it sounds like, I think my passion, and I, I feel like this is yours too, is like, I, I love this. Like we have, we have good stuff here. Like mm-hmm. I want to see what our stuff, how can we get that stuff to more people? Because like, I believe it's important and, and can make a difference in folks' lives. I agree. I agree. All right. So we, will, I feel like we need uh, like a rah rah mainline disciples church cheer now. <laughs> I, yeah. If I knew how to do cheers, we would do I would would do it, but I am not gonna okay. <laughs> Yes. That's just to say go team. So but thank you and we will yeah, thanks, talk thanks. again soon. Okay. so thankful um, that he was able to take the time to chat. Um, I hope that you understood a little bit. There was an interruption there with one of his children. That happens with podcasts and and with children. Um, As I said, I really enjoy time with Lauren, and I'm pretty sure that we will be talking more again in the very near future. So a few housekeeping notes. Um, Please, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, please do so. Um, You can do so on whatever podcast form that you are listening to. Also, if you have some time, don't be an anonymous listener. I would love if you would please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or any other platform that allows for that. Uh, There is actually a link where um, you can leave a review. It makes it very easy to leave a review. Um, It's in the show notes. I hope that you will take that, and basically it will help you to choose 
where you want that uh, review to go, what platform. Um, when you do that, when you leave a review, it makes it easier for people to see this podcast. It's kind of that thing, those weird things with the algorithms that it makes it um, available. Um, that the more people who leave reviews makes it a lot easier for people to find a podcast and, and get to hear this 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 podcast. So um, also just to remind you that Enroute does have a YouTube channel. Um, there is a link again in the show notes. Um, if you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, this is your chance. Um, click the show, click the link in the um, description and then subscribe. And also make sure to visit our website at enroutepodcast.org. That is it for this episode of Enroute, which is on Enroute, uh, the journey of faith and modern life. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Take care, Godspeed, and see you soon. <laughs>